When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Steve Miller Band. Sorry, one of my favorite songs, because there is that line, you've got to go through hell before you get to heaven. Isn't that the truth? You know, what's the baddest, I didn't say biggest, but the baddest of the big old jet airliners? Well, here in this country, it's got to be Air Force One, right? The only Air Force One I have ever had the pleasure of being on is stuck on the ground forever. It's the one displayed at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California. It's one of the bucket list experiences Every journalist wants, and I'm talking about actually flying on one and covering a president. I was thinking about these bucket lists that we all have. Journalists want to cover a hurricane. I got to cover Hurricane Andrew in 1992, Category 5, you know, bicycles, cows flying past you. It was very exciting. You want to cover a war. I mean, you don't, but you do. And you want to fly on Air Force One to cover a president which is exactly what my guest today on Everyone Talks to Liz has done. In fact, he's flown on Air Force One so many times, he does the old more than, as in more than a couple of dozen times I lost count. So many, he just can't count. He is the man who led Fox News's team during all kinds of elections, including network coverage of conventions, general election debates. And yes, he was on Air Force One multiple, multiple times when Barack Obama was president. But here's the real question about this guest. How did a kid from rural eastern North Carolina with no undergraduate college education work his way up the mountain of fisticuffs Washington political journalism to run the number one cable network's election coverage? Wes Barrett is today the head of Fox News Edge, which generates news stories for the more than 175 Fox affiliate newsrooms across the country. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thank you, Liz. It's great to be here with you. I could so easily pick a John Roberts or or somebody that everybody knows by their face or their name. I wanted to pick you because you're the ringmaster. You know, people don't understand how these things work. Reporters are crucial, very important, but it's the people behind the scenes. And I know that because I'm married to one. But you really were this ringmaster during some amazing political years in this country. It the, this career has has really enabled me to see things that I could have never dreamed of growing up as that kid in rural North Carolina. You know, as you mentioned, um, you know, I, I've I've said there were three times in my adult life where someone might have seen me shedding a tear. My wedding day, the day my son was born, and the day I first walked onto Air Force One, and it was this amazing sense of it was a combination of patriotism and professional accomplishment that was. Was just sort of overwhelming, uh, given you know where I started, where my roots were, and uh, and where I had come to. That's what we do here on Everyone Talks to Liz. We we talk about the roots, and then we get to the tree and the branches later. Let's talk about your roots. It was funny, you know. I said Eastern North Carolina. Mentally, I had to picture that. 
What was going on during your childhood in eastern North Carolina? Not a lot, um, <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Uh, people ask me, where are you from? And I say, well, draw a line from Norfolk, Virginia to Raleigh, North Carolina. Stop halfway in between. That's where I grew up. Um, a lot of open cotton and peanut fields. My dad was a cotton and peanut farmer uh, and, you know, living on family land and working hundreds, if not thousands of acres of, of cotton and peanuts. Um, it was our family's way of life. Um, I was one of three children and the only son in a farm family. And um, thus, you know, hard work um, and, and hard work out in the elements and, and on the farm helping the family to thrive was a major part of, of my young life uh, in through my teenage years. And, and even as a young adult, um, you know, you really are invested in what your family is doing and, um, you know, you, you help uh, sink or swim. It's no coincidence that we've had another really incredible guest, Pat Gelsinger of VMware, one of the top Silicon Valley software companies, huge in artificial intelligence. The guy's a genius. He has patents out the wazoo with his name stamped on them. He also grew up on a farm, and he said that that work ethic was really important, but but he had to get up at 3 a.m. to milk the cows in, in freezing weather in Pennsylvania. You're down in the South, kicking back. Chew in a straw. I will. I will see his freezing weather and raise him hot, muggy humidity through the summer. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, he's absolutely right on the work ethic. You know, it's really to say, oh, the kids these days, and you know, look at certain people and their paths, and 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 you know, as the adult and as the person, you know, who's gotten there to look at them and say, oh, well, you didn't take my path. Um, that being said, there is a value in. Um, seeing that you have a role in something bigger, understanding that your role is important, mm -hmm. understanding that a job that you've been assigned has to be done and it has to be done correctly or else it can lead to dire consequences. And I don't know that, um, you know, that, that that's necessarily a lesson that everyone gets. Um, and I think it certainly helped define me as I was younger. You know, there's there's one process, not to get too uh, into the weeds literally here, uh, but in late summer when it's hot and it's muggy and it's awful out, and um, I was tasked with going through the cotton fields and you're pulling basically 100 samples of leaves and stems and you're looking for these tiny little eggs that are the size of a pinhead, uh, which ultimately turn into this type of worm that can ruin the cotton crop, that it can absolutely devastate the cotton crop. You know, you're looking to find four or five of these tiny little things to say, yep, we need to do something about this problem or no, this field is okay. When you're a 15, 16-year-old tasked with, hey, if I don't do this the right way, this could mean a major loss for the family, it teaches you the ability to work under pressure and to understand responsibility in a way that I think is fairly uncommon. Fascinating. Uh, again, disease these are things people don't think about. Oh, I grew up on a farm. Oh, isn't that nice? Pigs, cows, sheep, pulling cotton. But those issues have become more and more prevalent. When I think about the citrus groves now and that disease that is flowing through, orange juice prices are going to spike. They can't get rid of it. It came from Asia. People bring one tiny bug in a suitcase by accident, and it can ruin an entire generation because your grandparents were also farmers, yeah. correct? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up uh, in a home with my father, whose father grew up in the home 50 yards you know, next to us 
on that same family land, and it it was definitely a generational thing. And a, you know, a few bad years could could risk that, could put that at risk. To whom did you sell your peanuts? I mean, I'm thinking Jimmy Carter was a peanut farmer. Yeah, so uh, there was a, a a fairly large co-op uh, that was in the area that uh, everybody went to. Uh, the sort of the big claim to fame that we all had uh, for a while there through the '90s and maybe early 2000s was they had the contract with Delta Airlines and with Major League Baseball. And so the peanuts that you had in a Major League ballpark or when you're on a Delta flight at that time, mm-hmm. I don't know if those contracts still exist, came through through that co-op. Well. Not, again, to get into the weeds literally, but I'm thinking about peanut allergies and how that's affected your family with this ban in many cases of peanuts on flights and things like that. I mean, I have a a nephew who's exquisitely allergic to whey and milk, one particle per million. He's got to have two EpiPens or, you know, things have gotten better as he's gotten older, but... um, you know, does that play into what's going on with your parents? Yeah, it was it was interesting, uh, um, you know, seeing through the years. And and my dad is is retired now, but mm-hmm. I certainly still keep a very close eye. They're my best friend growing up as a, a huge farmer in the area. And I watch this. And, and what you see is these different market forces from year to year have an effect on what you see on the landscape there. You know, the farmers will gravitate toward, oh, more peanuts now because there's a bigger market for it. You know, whether that's, you know, uh, they found a new buyer, something's been relaxed, they have that. What I saw over my time growing up and has been a consistent trend is now there is much more cotton through the entire eastern portion of the state mm-hmm. than I recall there ever being. Cotton became huge. It was that peanuts were the bigger crop when you know I was a, a child and, and my dad was farming. And over the time that I even spent working with him, you saw cotton gradually taking it over. you got to plant what's in demand. Exactly. How does a kid who's checking for bugs, aphids, whatever, what, were, right. what was that? Aphids, I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beverly Hills girl, you know. <laughs> we, we have a few small farms there, right. too. Uh, but how does a kid like that get from there to Air Force One heading up coverage of the number one cable network? Yeah, so the, uh, so the, the, the sort of elevator pitch version of of my story is that um and i th- the common theme that runs through it is taking advantage of opportunity that comes your way you know my parents had, had a couple of rough years as i was coming out and and going into college i was a pretty average student um i was exactly the kind of student you would expect of a kid who's focused on helping mom and dad on the farm and oh happened to also get a job at the local small town radio and tv station when he wasn't doing farm work why why did you do that uh, I took the job in radio and TV, one, because I was interested in it, mm-hmm. uh, and two, because any amount of money helps, um, you know, when you're when you're running those margins. Um, so while it, it was not the best thing for my um, my academic uh, career at that point, um, it did set me onto this path of, wow, I'm really interested in this. And I think I found the thing that I really want to do. Um I ultimately, in trying to figure out the college path, uh, end up getting a job, a part-time job as a news photographer at uh, you know a, a local television station in Roanoke, Virginia, and just start working my way up, uh, doing a lot of different things. I you know I eventually ended up doing some on-air work. I, I you know shot sports. I, I did whatever they would allow me to do and would throw my way um, until I eventually turned it into a pretty decent uh, pretty decent career. Um, decided local news, uh, you know, was a, beginning to be a little stifling, wanted to do something different, made a move to Washington to go work for another company in their, uh, their Washington newsroom. And um, 
again, taking advantage of opportunity, um, had the chance to talk to the head of journalism at American University and had a pretty good tuition benefit because my wife worked there. And after spending a little time talking to him about my career and my background, how I had ended up where I was. How old were you at this point? At this point, I was, uh, it was my younger 30s. This would have been 2008. So I had been working in television for a while. But again, no undergraduate education. Right. I had never finished an undergraduate degree. I had done some uh, some work. And, um, you know, I, this amazing professor at American University said, well, we could put you in class with 19-year-olds or we could waive your bachelor's requirement and put you in the place where you belong. And that's into a master's program. So wow. I wrote a couple of thousand words on why it was my time, pulled together my you know resume, a tape, some references. And uh, I, I remember it April Fool's Day of 2008, I got the email saying, you're in. <laughs> uh, Did you believe it? Uh, I actually did believe it because I knew the names involved. And despite the, you know, irony of the day, I said, wow, this is, this is actually going to happen. So, uh, amazingly enough, I, we, day one, uh, of the program was the morning after the 2008 Republican convention. I had been there covering the McCain Palin convention in uh, Minnesota and, uh, hopped on a plane, flew back to DC and went straight into grad school and, uh, um, turned out to be a pretty decent student after I got all of the, uh, uh the lack of focus, uh, out of the way at a younger age. Fox News. When Fox came onto the scene, I remember this clearly because I was starting my journalism career and I was an intern and production assistant at KCBS in Los Angeles, basically delivering newspapers and getting egg McMuffins for the news director. But people started to talk about this fourth network. They called it the fourth network. And they they were trying to amass affiliates and get things together. And, you know, there was ABC, NBC, and CBS in every market from number one, New York to 250, Glendive, Montana. You know, I, I believe Glendive is still the smallest market. I think you're market. right. Yeah. 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 And we all know this because we're all searching through the broadcasting cable yearbook at the time. There were no computers at that moment. And we, you know, we were looking at Fox and what they were going to become. How did you get to Fox's doorstep? So I had worked for the company for a local station in North Carolina during my career in in local uh, television news. Which town? Uh, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, Market 44 at the time. Um, And um, they let me do amazing things for there. I mean, I'm a kid who grew up on ACC basketball. I'm sitting on the court shooting basketball games. I'm, you know, out covering ice storms. I'm covering hurricanes as a kid who grew up in Eastern North Carolina, you know, the hurricanes that can just absolutely ravage the farm. You're also sort of fascinated by, and you want to be in the middle of that. So, um, I knew that they had allowed me to, uh, to do many things, uh, coming out of grad school. Um, you know, it's, it's all about what, you know, but it's maybe more so about who, you know, uh, my very first classmate on day one who I spoke to was the director of news and politics for the Fox News Channel. And after basically getting a two-year audition for her in grad school, uh, she says, you've got to come work for us uh, at the end. And so ended up uh, moving over to Fox uh, as a producer, um, covering the White House, uh, covering national politics, uh, the State Department. I, I ended up knowing more about the Iran nuclear deal than I could have ever imagined after uh, – you know, being with John Kerry for weeks at a time in, in Europe. Which uh, became very that. important to know about when President Trump said, I'm getting rid he, of the uh, nuclear deal. Absolutely. Um, um, and, and knowing instead of just sort of the, the, the 
talking points that you see bandied about, knowing those details of what was in that agreement, uh, you know, knowing the, the the characters and seeing those, and and, and just the, the you know, there are times when you did have these, oh my gosh, how did I get here moments, and uh, you know, we were in Lausanne, Switzerland. Um, you know, as that negotiation was happening and we happened to be staying at the same hotel as the Iranian delegation. And so Javad Zarif and I are, you know, meeting each other at the pineapple bowl at the <laughs> breakfast buffet every morning. You're like, how did I get here? You know, this farm kid from North Carolina, how am I standing here, you know, right now? So These out-of-body experiences. Yeah, completely. Absolutely. There are multiple examples I'm sure you have, but let's do one involving the president of the United States. Yeah. Did you eventually get on a first name basis or he at least knew your first name? How did this develop? Yeah, uh, well, you definitely uh, never get on a first name basis, if you will, uh, with them. It's always uh, Mr. President and you mm -hmm. refer to them in that way. Um, President Obama did, uh, you know, I was I was the network pooler enough. So you're not necessarily with the president every day. One of the five networks has a team, a photographer, a sound guy, and a producer who's sort of with the president all the time uh, on, on any given day. That's a lot of pressure when it's on your shoulders, is it not? It, it is, and the pressure to get it right is amazing because you cannot put the toothpaste in the tube when you put words into the president's mouth that he didn't necessarily say. Uh, when you're sending that out to representatives of five networks, and it's just, it, you know, especially in the modern age where it's hitting Twitter by the time you're hitting send on that email, uh, there is an amazing amount of pressure to get it right. You know, it, you, it really becomes impossible to retract. Was there one particular seminal moment where news was extraordinarily important and you were the one who had to get that out as, as the moment? Yeah, I, you know, I think there isn't one specific that jumps to mind, but when you are uh, in that role as the network pooler uh, and you are closest to it, you are literally at least the broadcast network's connection and, and every viewer in America, you are their connection to the president. You are their connection to the secretary of state, you know, at that time when you're when you're traveling with them. Um, you were the person who's sending that note, you know, saying a deal has been reached in Vienna on, you know, the Iran nuclear deal and spreading that news. Where were you and in what position when Osama bin Laden was finally killed? I w had just joined Fox and was just before I was actually spending a lot of my time at the White House. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, you know, I know that moment I had colleagues who got that note from Jay Carney at the time that just simply said, come to work. And something like that would be, like, you would read that and say, okay. And you it know, was a were, Sunday night. It was a, it was a late on a Sunday night. And, and to get that note um, is, is just, you know, coverage of the White House is very different now than mm -hmm. it was then. But by the same token, when you see something sort of that cryptic and at that time, you put it all together and say, wow, this is, this is major. This is this is big for us. Well, to be at the doorstep of history as a journalist to me is fascinating. We're not making the news, but to be that conduit is so unbelievable. And we had an experience on Fox Business. We were the conduit to the president confirming all kinds of conflicting reports starting yesterday where there was a report in the Washington Post that said the president is actually considering a tax cut and it would be a payroll tax cut. 
multiple White House voices came out and said, typical fake news, it's not true. Then today you had a spokesperson come on Fox News. I look up and I see him and he says, yeah, we we are actually considering it. Well, we talked about it. He certainly didn't say this is fake news. And then right in the middle of my show at 3 p.m. Eastern, claim and countdown, the president says, I am looking at the payroll tax cut. And even he went further and said <laughs> capital gains tax cut, too. Now, when you superimpose that over a perfect economy, according to the entire administration, you wonder what's really going on. So to be there as the person to interpret that, whether it be to all of our viewers or the pool or every network, it's just a fascinating position to be in. And I think interpret it is is a very good way to to put that. You know, I, I listened to enough uh, speeches from President Obama through the years that you heard a lot of the same themes, but your ears perked up when you heard that change, when you heard that slight change in nuance, when you heard that thing where, wait a minute, he may be proposing something different than what they have been proposing. Okay, that's news. Now, with this president, you're in a completely different boat. He contradicted his entire team today. The one thing I can say is when I got something from Jay Carney and Josh Ernest, I didn't think that Barack Obama was not going to say the same thing two hours <laughs> later. <laughs> I was confident that everyone was on the on the same page. Uh, so it's a it's a different you know it's a it's a completely different world now. But um, you know that ability uh, to and listen, our embeds who are out on the campaign trail, they hear that same speech over and over again. But when you hear that thing that deviates from what you've always heard. That's when your ears perk up and that's when you say, aha, this is, you know, where news is happening. And so being able to sort of be that traffic cop and interpret that for the viewer uh, or the listener is such an important role. Not glamorous. People think, oh, so glamorous. Explain to people, whether it was on a campaign trail or some far-flung venue or some small town, Trying to find an, a hotel room, dinner late at night yeah. when everything's shut. I mean, what is it like? Yeah, I, I recall one specific instance uh, from 2016, and, and I was actually in the field and on the ground. I was with Ed Henry. Uh, we had gone to Berlin, New Hampshire. Not Berlin, Berlin, New Hampshire. Any local <laughs> will tell you, don't call it well, Berlin. It's like Rio Grande, Ohio. Not Rio Grande, Rio Grande. Exactly. Um, and we had uh, flown into Boston. We had done live shots in Concord all day. And then we had gotten up to, to Berlin where Hillary Clinton was holding this event the following morning. And there's the one restaurant in town. And we walk in and we're thinking there was actually a, a debate on that night. There was a, a Republican uh, debate on that night. And we were thinking we just want to get to a restaurant, grab a beer, watch the debate, have some dinner. And the kitchen had shut down at 8 o'clock that night. <laughs> Uh, and so, um, you know, gas station sandwich and uh, watching the debate in the in the hotel room was was what it turned into. So um, glamorous. That being said, I, I will give Fox has has allowed me to see and do some things and put me in some places that uh, that I could never have dreamed of when I was younger. Which takes us full circle to Air yeah. Force One and, and that experience. And as we finish up, Wes, your ancestors go all the way back. What is the history of your family coming here to America? So we uh, we have this little running joke uh, in my family. Uh, the Barretts are, are of Irish descent from Cork, uh, Ireland. They were poor potato farmers. And our joke is, is that our family 
decided not to be poor potato farmers in Ireland anymore, but come to America to be poor cotton and peanut farmers instead. (laughs) (laughs) But it got you to a a one-in-a-lifetime experience and career. And in America, you you can do those things. Amen, brother. Thank you so much, Wes Barrett of Fox News. It's good to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Liz. Listen, guys, what do I tell you every single time? It doesn't matter from whence you came. It's it's the climb. It's the persistence. It's that focus and that ability to say, if I can dream it, I can do it. One foot in front of the other. It's just a perfect way of saying that that the story that Wes Barrett just brought us and all of our guests here at Everyone Talk to Liz Bring Us, we hope will inspire you to reach higher and reach for your dreams. So thank you so much for listening. And by the way, once you get your dreams, right, you got to save your money and grow it and protect it. Watch me every day, Monday through Friday on the Fox Business Network, the Claim and Countdown, 3 p.m. Eastern, the all-important hour of trade. Thanks so much. And We'll see you next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.